0: Bethany Lee. Hello, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 119. Our guest today is the president and CEO of Hits Incorporated, the largest hunter-jumper horse show production company in the U.S. He has locations all over the United States, like Chicago, Illinois, Culpeper, Virginia, Ocala, Florida, Sagerties, New York. He also has a huge range of opportunity for any type of competitor. About 30 years ago, he founded the Marshall and Sterling Insurance League to encourage and enhance the competition level of children and adult hunter and jumper riders, where there are over Over 1,500 U.S. horse shows that hold qualifying classes for the Marshall and Sterling show. At the other end of the spectrum, he also has some giant classes, some of which being the $250,000 Hunter Pre-Finals, the $250,000 Junior Amateur Owner Jumper Pre, and the $1,000,000 Grand Prix that is in Ocala, Florida that people literally flock to. So I really wanted to hear from our guest today, hear about how he juggles it all and how he manages such a huge production and what this year is kind of looking like for HITS Horse Shows. So let's welcome our guest today, Tom Stuzeri. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I would love to ask you some questions about your position and your work with HITS Horse Shows, And but would first like to hear about how you first got into the equestrian industry.
1: Well, you know, Bethany, this is my 40th year of running, uh, of running horse shows in Florida in the winter. So, you know, I'm a dinosaur <laughs> as far as that goes. So, you know, rode a bit as a child and always, always enamored with the horse shows. And so started a little farm at 18 where I, where I was training horses and then did little horse shows there. And that grew into some bigger horse shows. And then in 81, I started doing a circuit down here in Florida. So I've been doing horse shows ever since. No longer do any riding or training, really. But just it's, you know, as far as my involvement with the equestrian, it's, it's really just in managing events around the country.
0: Amazing. So, what was the transition like for you as you went from you know riding and having your own facility and and doing that area of the industry to transitioning into the management area?
1: Well, it was an easy transition only because it was it was it was both were going on at the same time, so it was it was pretty easy to do. So, in fact, heck, for the first few years that I did circuits here in Florida, I brought customers with me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so it was it was an easy transition. It was it was pretty seamless. All of us who were who grew up as horse people you know, we missed the horses and, and missed that opportunity. But, you know, I guess now I'm so long in a tooth now, it's okay. But, you know, for <laughs> years, you, you know, you missed that chance to ride and, and you know, you, you really missed those, those good customers that were, that were fun to teach and those horses that were so great to work with, you, you know, you missed dealing with them. But it was a pretty gradual transformation for me.
0: Awesome. And as you were, you know, getting started in having the horse show and managing it, what made you land on location that you did like having having this show in Ocala.
1: Well Ocala is the horse capital of the world right? I mean certainly Marion County uh, likes to likes to brag about that and I believe in it and like doing these horse shows for 40 years. We didn't start in Ocala but started it with a circuit that was in Gainesville and then Miami and then Fort Lauderdale and it, it jumped around for the first couple of years. In fact at that time there was another horse show part of the Winter Equestrian Festival that, was, that, was, that had a one-week course show in Ocala at the Castro Farms. And so that kind of precluded us from using the same space as them. Sure. And then after we did it for a couple of years, they left that property. And that I immediately called the Castros wonderful people and, and dear friends of the family since then and started to rent their property from them and then ultimately bought that property from them. So that was my first uh, real estate acquisition in Florida was the, was the equestrian part of the Castro Farms.
0: Got it. Awesome. What does the kind of day-to-day, let's say during during your circuit, what does that kind of look like for you as you are managing and make sure everything is running seamlessly?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's about 150 employees or so at the horse shows on a winter circuit like this. And so, you know, we have an org chart and we work our way down that. But, you know, I deal with, the, you know, the people at the management level and and, and then pluck my way down and, and make sure that everybody's everybody's following the plan. And, you know, obviously the weekends are busier changeovers from horse show to horse show can get busier. And then when we do some, some special classes, those are challenging times, things like the, you know, the great American million dollar class, which we hold at the end of the circuit every year Yeah, that requires, uh, you know, lots of preparation and and effort that is unique just for that. But that's pretty much how our day goes. We get here early um, and get the facility ready for our customers because they sure horse people sure do start early too. So, we try to beat them to the punch to get the place ready. They're long days and they're seven, seven days a week. But when you're doing what you love, that's not so complicated to do.
0: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's a, a common thread among equestrians. We rarely have a day off, but usually if you're, if you're really loving what you do, it, it, you, you make it work. And it, it doesn't quite feel like work that maybe you would feel in it if you had a different position.
1: I think that's true of anybody who's passionate about their work. You know, we—I'm in a couple of other trades, and I think that the things that I've selected, the people that are around me, are, if they're passionate for what they're doing, then then it's you know it's less of a chore. So those of us who are in the question world feel we're pretty unique that way. But I think those in many people in the food and beverage is a similar thing. It's long hours and can can be thankless. But if you're passionate about food and beverage, you feel that way. Or we're also in the endurance business where we run triathlons and marathons, and the people around me in in that trade. Feel the same way, but there's no question that if you're in the if you're in the equestrian trade, you're gonna you're you're committed to some pretty long hours, and <laughs> you better you better love the horses if if that's what you choose.
0: Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about what are the favorite, most rewarding parts of your job, and then some challenges that you face with your position.
1: Well, the most rewarding part of the job is that I, I still get to be around the horses. So you know, watching watching some of the good horses go with with some of the top riders. It's, it's always a pleasure. We do tend to to attract a pretty eclectic group. So while I may have Olympians in one ring, we, we have people with, at their first horse show down and you know, 10 rings down. So that's always fun to watch and, and seeing people developing the same passion that I had for the horses. So those are those are clearly some of the some of the the advantages to being in this trade. Negatives to being in the trade, you know, I mean I, I'm not sure that there's too many negatives. I mean it's it's hard work and like any business, you know, you, so some days you say you get, you get, you can get pretty frustrated with it. But, but, but for the most part, you know, it's mostly positive. So I don't dwell too often on those negatives, but I guess they're, they're certainly there. But the, being around the horses and, and, and being able to be a horse person makes up for it.
0: Amazing. Yep. I think that's a really good point. There's obviously multiple locations that are, that kind of make up the hits horse shows. Tell me a little bit about, the balance or kind of your daily involvement with the other locations?
1: You know, I, I'm a little more hands-on, I think, than, than some of my peers. I'm not sure that's better or for worse, or, and, I'm, and I'm not <laughs> predicting about that, but it just tends to be the way I am. Yeah. Uh, but, we, you know, we do have lots of facilities, and the one in Saugerties is close to home, so that that's that can be my favorite because I get to sleep in my own bed and, and spend more time with the family there. And so yeah. you can still work long hours and and. and and still are the best of both worlds. You know, we got a, a place in Virginia in Culpeper. I don't spend as much time there. Those horse shows tend to be a little bit smaller. I have really good staff, and so they, they accomplish those without a lot of my hands-on involvement, although I am behind the scenes very involved in those shows. And, you know, you know about Ocala, which is we move down here right after Christmas and spend you know, through, through March at least with these horse shows here, and then, and then come back and forth many times during the year. So, Ocala requires me to to spend a lot of time away from home. We've got a series of horse shows in in Chicago at a facility called Lamplight, which we're excited about. We do a lot of horse shows there. We do 13 horse shows there, plus another five dressage shows. So there's lots of weeks uh, at Lamplight. In fact, I think Lamplight from May 1st through September, there are no weeks where we don't have an event.
0: Yeah, Um, I grew up doing those shows. I grew up in Wisconsin, so i always at Lamplight. Yep.
1: great. (laughs) So that's you know so you know that and that's you know it's a small place but it's a but a a special place and people that go there have really love it and have fond memories and so you know we want to keep that tradition going there so I'll you know I'll spend a few weeks there I like that I like I like being in Chicago lots of places to run there and do my endurance at night and it's great running trails and biking trails seems to be all over the the state of Illinois it's pretty special how how much they have those so that's that's a fun place to be and and a new project that we've taken on this year for John Ammerman is that we're going to run the Vermont horse shows for John. So we started working on that project. That's the only property that we lease. We don't own that property. So we're going in there and just trying to tune it up a little bit and, and uh, get it ready for next year's horse shows with some modifications to the ground and the footing and the drainage and things like that. So, yeah. you know, it makes for a pretty full season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you are approaching the start of a season, kind of like what you were touching on, especially taking on a new project, but f- as far as all your locations are concerned, what are the things that you are focusing on to ensure, you know, a, a good season, you know, from the beginning?
1: Well, you know, it all starts with, with, with safety and, and safety for the horses. So, and, that, and that all starts with footing. So spend a lot of time on footing. You know, footing is a, a, a funny topic. It's a hot button for lots of people. And, yeah. Everybody's a different opinion about footing. You know, I can, I can, I can set the footing and set a course for the biggest Grand Prix in America, and have have you know twenty past and present Olympians walk it and and get twenty different opinions about the ground, right? So, <laughs> yeah. what we try to do is set up safe and and footing that's going to appeal to the the great majority. And you know, I think I think we get that done. But that's that that takes most of my efforts. Most of our expenses go into that, and a lot goes into it. You know, a lot of it happens before the horse show. So. You know, we go in and we modify ground and, and get ground ready each season for, you know, for each year at each location. And if, you, you know, you go to a facility like Saugerties where there are 10 show rings and 10 schooling areas, that's 20, 20 pieces of ground that you need to, yeah. how are you going to modify those each year and what you're going to change and which ones need to completely be changed. Because, you know, footing is a, it, it's, it's one of those things that's, you know, it's pretty organic when you, mm-hmm. when you get it ready, it's changing. So when I have it ready for the first horse from that moment on, it's a changing thing, whether it's the weather how much traffic. And so, you know, we have to evaluate whether we, how we maintain it, whether we replace it, you know, the textiles, they, they break down in the sun, you know, how long can they last? So there's, you know, there's lots going into it. So footing, I guess, is our, takes up the absolute most of, of our time.
0: Got it. Yeah. I, cause you have quite a few giant rings. I remember going to your Socrates location and taking my clients to junior hunter finals and like walking in that ring. Oh my gosh, like so, so big. So I, I totally get how that needs to be a big focus in that would take up a lot of time and a lot of budget for sure. Since your locations are so diverse geographically and, and based on the weather and how often you're using them, does that footing type change from location to location or do you have a footing that you like and use across the board? How, to, how does that kind of work?
1: Yeah, you know, each location offers you a different opportunity for, you know, to find, you know, what kind of sand you can fly So, know the sand is the key the textiles pretty much remain the same the drainage the base and the sand change based on location weather you know when we did footing in you know for years for for, uh boy for more years than I can even mention I I did circuits (laughs) in California built our own product twice we built places out there you know we we sold that project and those people doing a great job with it right now but we did that thermal circuit out there yeah and so of course that was much different opportunity for for natural resources, for sand, much different weather, you know, because so much of it depends on, you know, the evaporal transpiration rate and everything else and, you know, how much rain you're going to get, et cetera. So, you know, a lot of those factors go into what we do in every site that we go to. So not as simple as just using the same blueprint every place.
0: Right. Definitely. I'm taking a quick break from the episode because here's the thing, your riding outfits don't always have to be boring, and with the Posh Pony, you can dress up any R-O-O-T-D with a simple statement, a belt. From different colors and designs, the Posh Pony has something everyone will love, not to mention they are a great way to add style to your everyday outfits as well. Their belts are made with durable metal hardware that is easily adjustable to most sizes. Can't find a style you like? Well, the Posh Pony can make it for you. They are all about the customer, from customer designs to requests, they are sure to have something you will love. Great as gifts for your family and friends as well. So make sure you come and support a small business that is all about making a statement in the equestrian community, shop the Posh Pony. So head on over to their website for some inspiration and to find some adorable belts to complete your outfit. You can head over to shoptheposhpony.com. That's shop the posh, P-O-S-H, pony.com. Thank you so much, The Posh Pony. All right, let's head back to the episode. As you are looking ahead into the new year, what are some some things that you are focusing on, especially with the events of last year and how that's affected horse showing?
1: The the biggest issue out there for all of us is is COVID and and you know the, the first thing you want to do is make sure you're the people around you are safe. And, you know, so you start with your family being safe and then the people you work with being safe and then your customers being safe. And, and you now that's the, that's the biggest challenge all of us have, whether we're running horse shows or doing anything else. So I'm not sure that we've, you know, the, that we have all the answers there, but I'm not sure anybody does. So that's it. Right. Uh, so, so I wish there was a book we could read and <laughs> everything was absolute certainty what to do. So that's, that's the first challenge. And the, that's nothing that changes every day, you know, whether it's, whether it's requirements changing every day, whether it's, for example, I'm in the, you know, restaurants that I own, you may have a chef that's been exposed. And so all of a sudden he doesn't come and then, you know, those the people on the line with them. They can't come in and you're, you should, right. you're, you should be to, do you close the restaurant? Do you get new people in, you know, do you do a deep clean at the restaurant? I mean, this is always challenges. So that, so our biggest challenge, whether it's the food and beverage business or a uh, triathlon we organized the other day, or especially the horse shows that we're organizing now in Ocala is how to keep everybody safe so that we can stay open and yet make sure that it's a safe place for everybody. Cause everybody wants to, you know, think that it is. That's the biggest challenge. And those challenges obviously aren't going to go away for the next six months, although I think the vaccine potentially could mitigate them by the time we get to summer. But
0: Mm -hmm. until
1: then, we have to stay especially vigilant. And so that's, that's the biggest challenge that we have right now.
0: Yeah. What are the kind of protocols that you've put in place for this winter circuit as far as, you know, like social distancing and mask use? And have you had to hire on more staff or have volunteers to do temperature checks? What is that kind of looking like for you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, everybody does it a little bit differently. And so we we had good success with it, our, with our strategies for our protocol this past summer, because we did it, you know, we had we had horse shows in Virginia and Chicago and New yeah. York. And so we, you know, we, we had a strategy that worked there. We're going to continue the, the pretty similar protocol for this winter here in Ocala. You know, so we don't take everyone's temperature. We request that clients that, uh, stay home if they have a temperature. We do take temperatures of all of our staff. And we do take temperatures of all of our, we do all our own food as, and beverage as well at the horse shows. So all those people get their temperatures taken daily. We keep logs of all that. You know, we we hire extra people to... To enforce mask rules, although that's a, you know, that's a challenge, and you know the federation gives us a list of criteria that we have to follow, a protocol we have to follow, and so that becomes the basis really of, of most of what we do. Yeah. So we're hoping to continue to keep exhibitors vigilant about their mask use and their social distancing. Although you know that's tough in all of society it seems, and, but we'll you know we'll continue to be vigilant at, at, at trying to get them to, to cooperate with that. Obviously, we've looked at, you know, our portable sanitation a little bit differently. So, we, you know, we bring in more bathroom trailers. All of our, all of our, all of our units, whether they're trailers or, or just the little portalettes, have hand sanitizer machines in them. And so, and the trailers are, are being cleaned every hour and a half. Every trailer gets completely cleaned. So, we're, you know, we're in every, every permanent bathroom is, as well. We're trying to stay on top of that. Initially when it came out, you know, when, the, when, when COVID be, became active in this country, you know, it was, the talk was that particularly contagious with surface touches. I'm not sure that, that they're feeling quite as strong about that anymore, so we mm-hmm. gotten away from a bit of that. But we put up plexiglass at the, at the offices, and in-gates have you know, plexiglass between them and, and the competitors. Plexiglass at the food service, we, we've changed the way we, we do food service, and you know, we do more touchless to-go packaging which seems, you know, so while that's, a, a, you know, obviously a, ra- a waste of, of, some, of some boxes and lots of plastic, it seems to be a much safer way to, to do food service. So we've, we've gone to that. So, yeah, I mean, nothing simple about it, but I don't think anybody, yeah. any business is facing simple times right. during this pandemic.
0: Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about... The Marshall and Sterling League and how that came to be a few years a few years back now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, quite a while, now, right? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, thirty years ago, you know, we started a little league with, with a few divisions that you know, it, it, most most of your your followers probably don't even remember, but you know, it's not that many years ago where where the only the only way you could um, compete at the highest level was to be a high performance uh, athlete at the horse shows, and so you know that that the hits model in the beginning. It's kind of morphed now as we start to do some of the biggest classes in the world. But certainly at yeah. the beginning, we catered to a client that that might not have a place to have a finals for the divisions that they were competing in. And so sure. we started that and you know, we had those finals uh, for the first few years at the Washington International Horse Show and then moved the finals around to a few different places and then finally settled on a finals of our own. And we have about, I would say, approximately fifteen to 1,700 horse shows around the country that that have our qualifying classes at them. Many of those horse shows are, are not sanctioned, but there's, you know, 750 sanctioned shows and 750 unsanctioned shows that, that send their results to us for their, for their classes that count for the Marshall and Sterling League. Marshall and Sterling is still to sponsor 30 years later. And those points then go to, to, to how you qualify for year-end awards and for the finals. The finals that we do for those divisions at the, at the finals, which is held in Saugerties in September, is, you know, is probably our most popular horse show of the year where we turn down the most entries. And it's a pretty, it's a great grassroots program, but it's becoming more than that you know, to, to people who, are, who use that really as, their, as the points that they, they try to accumulate throughout the year. They set that finals as their goal. So it's been successful, successful obviously for the Marshall and Sterling Insurance Company as they've done their equine program based off that, that partnership and certainly successful for HITS, and and successful as well for many trainers who who use it as their opportunity to develop their clients and their riders to get to a final so it's been good for everybody it's a good grassroots program it's one i'm pretty proud of
0: absolutely another program that i think hits us so well known for is the triple crown of show jumping which i feel like started now almost 10 years ago when you did the when you started the million dollar grand prix Tell me a little bit about that process and the unique opportunity that it is.
1: Well, you know, like I said earlier, it, it, we were pretty we were pretty focused in the early years, again, we we're doing this for forty years in uh, appealing to the clients that perhaps weren't uh, didn't have an opportunity to compete at the highest highest level and as as my business has grown as hits has grown as the sport has evolved and and perhaps during the great um, recession of, of two thousand and eight, we needed to to rebrand ourselves I think we rebranded ourselves plenty of times over these years, but that was yeah. an opportunity for us to, to start to reach out to those high performance riders as well and be a company that offered something for, a little bit for everybody. And so that's when we started to do that. So when, when business got bad is when we raised our prize money, oddly enough, and did that. Sorry about the million dollar class in Socrates, And then ultimately did a million dollar class in, in thermal California, you know, in Coachella, and then added a million dollar class here in Ocala. And so we had, of course was branded as a triple crown of show jumping you know, we've had some some great winners of that class, and I think McLean Ward has won that class a few times in, in different spots, and, and some other pretty prominent riders. I think BZ won it a couple of years ago. And so we we stopped. We obviously we don't have the thermal horse shows anymore. We sold that that project, so it left us with the Sawgerties Horse Show and, and and the Million Dollar Class here in Ocala. So we have, we still have our Million Dollar sponsor in Great American. They still sponsor the Million Dollar Class for Ocala. We don't do a Million Dollar Class in Sawgerties now, but it is a FEI Five Star Class, so the highest level of um, that you can have internationally. That is that, and that's a half a million dollar class. So we made up, made up for that by doing the biggest hunter classes that same weekend in Saugerties with the $250,000 class and $100,000 class. So the, those are the two biggest hunter classes in America. So we feel pretty good about, about that weekend, even though we're still not doing the, we're not doing the million dollar jumper class any longer. Yeah. But that's the background for, for that, for that million dollar thing. We're still doing it here in Ocala. We've got that great sponsor and great American insurance and we'll keep doing that class as long as great America keeps helping us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like no matter where, people are showing that time of year, I feel like people flock to Ocala that week because that is just, it's such a well-known Grand Prix and, and such a big opportunity for the people who are successful in that class. I think that's a really cool thing that you do and continue to do. Well, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time. I feel like HITS is such a big part of our horse show history, so I loved learning a little bit more about how it came to be and the you know entity that it has become. So thank you so much for taking the time and I wish you all the best this year
1: Thanks bethany. My pleasure. And thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it
0: All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on itunes I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week